I wonder how many of us have ever had a defining moment when you looked at yourself in the mirror. Was that your defining moment? You know, as you get older, and I've got the young people in this morning, I want to say you guys, as you get older, these defining moments when you look in the mirror happen more and more. Am I right? And if you're a guy, um, then, then, you know, one of the defining moments when you look in the mirror is to do with your hair. Anyone remember that whole thing? See, when I was um, married, which is like 300 years ago, 26 years ago, my hair was down to here, down to my shoulders. It really was, okay? Uh, and, and I had lots of hair on the top, etc. There came a moment when I looked in the mirror and I realized that not all of my hair was on my head any longer. Anyone ever had that thing? And um, what you used to do, all right, back in the day, uh, men especially, is that when we start to lose our hair, we used to do something called the comb over. Anyone remember that? And I have to be careful when I use this illustration because I am looking around here, okay, when I say we used to do this and someone's saying, I'm still doing it, you know. And there's the whole Bobby Charlton thing. Do you remember that? Some of you young guys haven't got a clue I'm talking about. And we used to do that and it was like a defining moment. And the defining moment came when we did all we could do to manage the hair loss. But there came a moment when we said, get the clippers out. Anyone remember that? That's the defining moment that changes everything when it comes to your hair. And as we get older, definitely when we look in the mirror, there needs to be some defining moments for some of us. And I did some research on the internet. So this is the internet. It's not me, so don't shoot me. And it said that these are the things that you should not do as you get older, okay? So let me see where I am. So guys, when you get into your 30s, no longer should you be wearing skinny jeans or baseball caps the wrong way. All right? When you're in your 30s, okay, looking around here. But women, when you get into your 30s, no longer should you be wearing graphic t-shirts, blue eyeshadow, leopard print, or non-matching socks. Why ever anybody would want to wear non-matching socks at any age is a way uh, past me. And then when it comes to fun, having fun, here's something. If you're in your 40s, men, you should no longer try to dance. All right, and Julie's looking at her husband here, Tim. <laughs> it's a little moment. Unless, of course, you really can dance. And my experience with men in their 40s, not many of us can do it. Am I right there? Okay, so we shouldn't do it. But, you know, defining moments, uh, all those moments come around the whole issue of loss. When you think about your hair and you think about fashion, you think about what you used to do, and how many of us think, oh, you know, I used to be able to get out and run. I used to be able to play football. I used to do this. I used to be able to do that. Actually, loss and endings are massive defining moments in all of our lives. And the question I want us to think about this morning as we start this series is this. Does the situation define the moment or the moment define the situation? Does the situation define the moment or does the moment define the situation? And over the next five weeks, we're going to look at the life of Jesus. Great background for us as we come up towards Christmas. Because believe it or not, I know this is going to be radical. Christmas is all about Jesus. I know that's really radical, but it really is, okay? It should be. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to look at five defining moments in his life. Some of them were defining just for him. Many of them were defining for those who followed him. Some of them were defining for both. Okay, and we're going to look at this a little bit Benjamin Button style. If you don't know who Benjamin Button is, okay, um, this is backwards. Okay, so we're going to start at the beginning. Right? We're going to start at the, <laughs> no, we're going to start at the end, and we're going to end at the start. Okay, so we're basically going to start by looking at that moment when Jesus left the planet, and we're going to end the series looking at that moment when Jesus arrived. And in between, we're looking at five defining moments in the life of Jesus. Life life is lived forwards, but understood best backwards famous theologian and philosopher once said. 
You know, this is a defining season for us as a church, okay? We've been 10, 11 weeks now since the fire, and uh, it's a defining season for us as a church. God is doing some great things. You know, every week new people are coming. You know, I think pretty much every week we've seen people give, give their lives to Jesus, which is exciting, isn't it? I'm excited about it. Simon's excited. Anyone else excited about that? That's amazing. And we're seeing new people come, and God's doing great things. There are some challenges in that as well. And if you're the praying type, we'd really encourage you to pray uh, with us and for us for the insurance situation. Okay, having accepted liability, the insurance company are proving to be a little challenging right now. And we really need to see a breakthrough there. So please pray for us in that. So it's defining for us as a church. But I believe we're also in a defining season for us as a nation. We really are right now with austerity and with the, the, the cuts to tax credits and all of this and the political upheaval. And then when you look at Europe and you look at the migration crisis and you look then into the Middle East and all of the conflict out there, we're in a defining season as a planet right now. But it may be this morning that some of you are here and you are in a defining season as well. Maybe you have lost something. Maybe something has come to an ending in your life. And the question is, does that situation define your moment or could your moment define that situation? And we're going to look this morning at the time when Jesus left. We're calling this Jesus Leaves. This is the time when Jesus appeared on the planet. He lived 30 years, then did ministry for three years, then was crucified, was resurrected. Then he appeared for a period of 40 days, and we'll look at that in a minute, and then he left. And this is a defining moment for the early followers of Jesus. We're going to read it together. It's in Acts chapter 1. It says this, in my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke who wrote this, okay, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he writes the book of Acts. He says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, which is the crucifixion and resurrection, he presented himself to them. And he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive, what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Okay, we're going to look at this technically for a moment and then personally. Technically, uh, this is called in Christian doctrine and theology, the ascension. Okay, if you've never heard that before, this is called the ascension. When Jesus came as a baby, that's called the incarnation. When he came onto planet earth, this is called the ascension. And um, the idea here is that Jesus' physical body ascended into heaven. Now, some of you who are new are maybe thinking, really? You really expect me to believe that the physical body of Jesus ascended into heaven? That defies all the laws of gravity. Correct. But I don't know about you, but I have sat in a metal tube hundreds of times, okay? And I've sat there for a while in this metal tube held by the law of gravity to the planet. But then that metal tube begins to rattle, 
and I hope that the rattling is what it's supposed to be and not something else, as the engines on this metal tube start to kick into gear. And that metal tube begins to gather speed and gather more speed and then eventually it begins to lift up nose first and before I know where I am, I am 38,000 feet in the air. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Because when the law of aerodynamics kicks in, it supersedes the law of gravity. So how could a physical body of Jesus ascend to heaven because of the law of gravity? Easy, when a greater law kicks in. And that's what we passionately believe. That not only is there the law of gravity, but there are greater laws at stake, at work. And the law of God means that all things are possible. So the ascension happened. But here's the thing. It was 40 days that Jesus appeared, resurrected with the disciples before he ascended. Before he took off, if you like, and went up to heaven. Now, 40 days is important because right at the start of his ministry, there was 40 days when Jesus went into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. And this 40-day period is almost like proof that all he said about himself was true. And that whole experience of the temptation is another defining moment for Jesus and for us. And Jane is going to look at that next Sunday. But this is incredible to think that that 40-day period reflected that 40 days in the wilderness. And I also think it had to be a long period of time. Because in that 40 days, Jesus is sharing with his disciples things about himself and things about the kingdom. And he's laying foundations for them which are going to last for generations. And I'm convinced that you and I are here today because of the 40 days that Jesus spent with his disciples laying foundations in that period before he ascended. So that's technically about the ascension. But what does it mean personally for us? What does it mean personally? What would it have meant for you if you'd have been one of those guys with Jesus for the 40 days? Let me ask you a question. How many of you, and many of you are Christians here this morning, maybe not all of you would say that you are, and that's great. But how many of you, like me, think that following Jesus sometimes is a little confusing? Is it just me? Okay, no, it's more than me. That's good. Because I think it really is. Because to be honest with you, when you think about Jesus appearing and disappearing, he did it a lot. So he wasn't around and the Jews are waiting for the appearance of the Messiah. He appears as a baby. Most people didn't recognize him, but he appears as a baby. Then as a baby, he, you, you, he disappears. And then you see him as a 12-year-old, appears, and then he disappears again. And then you don't see him appear again till 30. And then between 30 and 33, he keeps talking about the fact that he's going to disappear again. And he's going to disappear. But in three days later, he'll appear again. And so he does disappear because he dies. And three days later, he appears again. And now he's with them for 40 days. He's appeared. Fantastic. And then he says, and then I'm going to go away again. For goodness sake, Jesus, make up your mind. Appear or disappear. He seems to keep coming and going. But here's the thing. Every time he disappears, that ending is the doorway to a new beginning. And I don't know what it must have been like for the disciples to have been with Jesus. I think it would have been amazing, wouldn't you? The resurrected Christ for 40 days. I'll tell you what, no more doubts, no more questions. This man, the man who predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off, is the man my money's on. And they had him for 40 days. Then when he left, that must have been heartbreaking for them. Why didn't you just stay, Jesus? When you were with us, we had no fears. When you were with us, we had no doubts. When you were with us, we had no questions. Why are you going to leave us again? Why is this ending? I don't know about you, but I've had some loss in my life. I know that many of you have as well. And when you have loss and when something ends... It is really difficult not to get stuck in that moment, isn't it? 
It's really difficult not to let that moment define you. Not to let that situation define your moment. You see, the dictionary says that an event, a defining moment is an event which typifies or determines all subsequent related occurrences. Something has happened, some loss or some ending has happened in your life. That can determine your whole life if you let it. Does the situation define the moment or does the moment define the situation? Last week, um, I haven't been here the last two Sundays, and a team of eight of us from the church, mostly young people and me, uh, we went to Albania for a week. And um, you're going to hear a little bit about that from the younger guys in the next couple of weeks. But I want to tell you one little bit of the story. Many of you know this part of the story because I've told it many times, but it's kind of got some new additions to it. So our first part of our trip is we flew uh, into Tirana, the capital. Then we traveled up to the north of Albania to a city called Shkodra. And there we met a friend of mine and the church in which she now leads. Here is uh, Ilona and her two kids, Gabriel and Sarah. This is quite an old photograph. The kids are much uh, older and bigger than that now. Um, but these guys, um, she was married to a guy called Tani, who I've known for, for, for several years. And um, these guys live in the northern part of Albania, which is a, a weird place. And it's unlike any other in Europe, in that in this part of the northern part of Albania, they still live under an ancient code called the Kanun. And the Kanun was a code that was devised centuries ago when the people in that area were trying to protect their religion and their faith and their way of life from the Turkish occupation under the Ottoman Empire. And they withdrew into the mountains and they devised this canoe, this canon, this way of living. And part of this way of living was something called the blood feud, which means that if anybody kills someone in your family, you have to take revenge on them blood for blood, okay? And about eight, nine years ago, I met uh, Eleanor and Tani. And at this time when I met her, Tani was the pastor of the church, and they were in the blood feud because Tani's uncle had killed somebody in a drunken kind of brawl. And because the uncle had no kids, the, the blood feud operates like this. They look for the person in the family who is the best. Who if they were to take that person, if they were to kill that person, it would cause the family the most amount of pain. So they chose Tani. And for years he led the church with Eleanor and with the kids in fear of his life. And then five years ago, two weeks ago, five years ago, Okay, I was in America in a coffee shop just about to go into a church for a, a conference I was going at. And I had a call from someone saying that Tani had been in the church one morning, had come out of the door, had shut the door, had walked out into the street at one o'clock in the afternoon and someone shot him. And as he staggered into the doorway of a restaurant, they this 21-year-old guy went up and shot him again and killed him. That's loss, isn't it? That's an ending. That's a defining moment. And then when we were there, here's another photograph, and this was taken while we were there. This photograph is it, it, to the door to the other side, to the left, as I'm looking at it, yeah, uh, is, is, the, is, the, is the church, okay, is the door to the church. But the door that you're looking at, that actual metal gate door, is the door of a shop that they, uh, three or four weeks ago, they um, basically um, got the shop, pay, paid for the shop, okay, and rented it. And tomorrow, they're going to open that as a center to reach out to families, who are all being impacted by the blood feud. And when I look at my friend Eleanor, I think it was so easy for this situation to define her moment. And yet what she's done is she's allowed the moment to define the situation. Uh, let, let me just tell you uh, kind of what she has done. The first thing that she's done in terms of her uh, uh, response to the loss that she had in her life was that she has totally forgiven the family who've, who've killed her husband. And... Um, 
when we were there, uh, the, the guys were talking about something and uh, they were telling us the story of what had happened. And just after Tani had been killed, when Gabrielle, their oldest son, was eight years old, okay, eight years old, they're driving uh, in the city and they drive past the court. And um, Gabriel says to his mom, Mommy, what's that building? And, and uh, Elena says, That's the court. Uh, and Gabriel says, and what do they do in the court? He says, well, that's where they decide when people have done wrong things and bad things, how long they'll go in prison for. And then Eleanor said this. This was just after Tani got killed. I didn't know this story. She said this. She said, she said to Gabriel, her eight-year-old son, darling, what do you think should happen to the man who killed your daddy? And do you know what the eight-year-old said right away? He says, mommy, we should forgive him totally because Jesus has forgiven us. That's phenomenal, isn't it? And in that moment, God began to work in her heart and she came to the point where she forgave the family totally. In fact, she has sent Bibles to this kid who's killed her husband. They've sent letters to him. They have told him that God loves him and that they want to see him come into a relationship with Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. Not only that, she then picked up the calling that her husband left when he died on that day. So she now leads the church. She's the only female leader of a church in Albania that I know of in a very patriotic, patriarchal kind of society. She leads that church amazingly. Not only that, she's committed to bringing life out of death. So she set up a charity called No to the Blood Feud and they lobby the government and they do things like that and they get petitions going and, and they stand up for all these different things that are happening. Not only that, but now, three weeks ago, the church took that shop and in that shop tomorrow, as it launches tomorrow, there's going to be kids from 60 families who are all involved in the Blood Feud coming to that shop, into that space where they're going to get some fun, where they're going to get some food, where they're going to get some education and where they're going to hear about this life-giving, forgiving power of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Out of loss comes a new beginning. Out of an ending comes a new beginning. I want to say to you, you know, I know that her situation is very, very extreme and all of us go, wow, none of us are in that kind of scenario. But all of us know what it is to have loss in our lives. All of us know what it is to have something come to an end. In that moment, are we going to let that moment define us or are we going to define that? And the only way we can do that is by bringing God into the situation. So what about you? What about your loss this morning? Maybe a loved one. Maybe a relationship. Maybe a ministry. Maybe financially. Maybe work. Maybe a dream. What about your ending? Maybe it's a stage you've gone through. Maybe it's a season of life you're going through. Maybe you're getting older. Does the situation define the moment? Or does the moment define the situation? And in that moment when Jesus left, you know, the disciples, they didn't leave that scene disheartened or discouraged. They left with a promise that the Jesus who was leaving is coming back. And, you know, an ending can become a new beginning, but only if we embrace it and engage with it. And I want to suggest, I want five more minutes this morning. I want to suggest that it's possible when we come to these defining moments of loss and ending for us not to embrace it and not to engage with it. You see, when those two men appeared to the, to the disciples after Jesus ascended a few verses back, you know, the Bible says, they said, why are you staring, looking into the sky? It's like they were like gormless and open-mouthed looking at the sky and staring there. If they'd have got stuck there, they'd have never have embraced that new moment. They'd have never have received the Holy Spirit. And it's possible for you and I to get stuck in a moment of loss or of ending. And we do that through a variety of ways. Number one, we deny that it's happening. We pretend it's not happening. So we look in the mirror and we think, I'm not getting old, I'm not getting old, I will wear my baseball cap the wrong way around, I will wear leopard print or whatever. And we just deny that we're getting older and so we don't embrace the change. Well, the other thing that we do is that we just live in that moment of regret 
and we live chained in the moment of what's happened to us. It was very easy for my friend Eleanor to get totally locked up with, with, with pain and with unforgiveness and bitterness. And she'd have been in chains, but she didn't allow it to happen. Many of us do that. You know, someone once said, those who refuse to move don't notice their chains. Many people I've met who've got stuck and chained in a moment of some loss or some ending and they've not moved on in their life. And you know, we can get stuck in that moment. If you remember the great expectations, Charles Dickens, anyone remember that play and that book, that film? Miss Havisham, that central character who gets jilted at the altar and she gets stuck in that moment and she's dressed in the, in, in the bridal dress, in the gown, and she can't, get, she can't get out of it. And she lives a whole life out of the chains of being stuck in that moment. And God says, no, go, don't stand here staring at the sky. Don't stand here stuck in that moment of what's happened to you. Move on and wait for me because here's the thing. Only the supernatural intervention of God can turn an ending into a beginning. And what happened is that when they went and they waited, the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit, the supernatural intervention of God, brought life out of death. It brought hope out of despair. It brought a new beginning out of a loss and out of an ending. And when I look at my friend Eleanor, I, I look at the Holy Spirit, the supernatural. Um, it can only be God, can't it, that can come into a life like that. Someone who misses Tanny every single day of, the, of, of her life and yet still says, I am not going to be defined by this moment. I'm not going to get chained into that. I'm going to go forward with God. That's amazing. That's only the supernatural intervention of God. And I want to say, guys, I think the ascension is so important to you and I if we're followers of Jesus. It really is. We get technical for a little, little moment longer. It's so important because when we live in the power of this, we remember where Jesus is now. He is active on our behalf. The Bible says as he ascended, he went to the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession or prayers for us right now. So when you're struggling at school or when you're struggling at work or when you're struggling in life, you need to know Jesus right now has ascended. He is making intercession prayers on your behalf. He's talking to daddy about you. That's amazing. That's because of the ascension. And because of that, we can live boldly now. There's an old song that says, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Actually, because he lives, we can face today. We can do that because he lives. We're reminded that, um, you know, we can take heart because we're reminded that he suffered and endured and went forward. And also we carry hope. This is not the end. Wherever you are in your story is not the end. And the ascension of Jesus is proof of that. But then the coming of the Spirit is essential if we are going to move on from our moments of loss or of ending. You know, without his spirit, we can do nothing, the Bible says. doesn't mean we can do nothing. We can do lots of stuff. But it means we can do nothing that really matters. And without his spirit at work in our lives, we can do nothing. You know, my story is that I was brought up in a Christian home. And I knew all about God, okay, as a, as a young person, as a teenager. And uh, when I was about 15 and a half, I gave my life to Jesus. And that's a work of the spirit. But even beyond that, I really didn't know the Holy Spirit. Okay, and a lot of my Christian life when I was a teenager, late teenager, was about effort and about work. And I remember defining moment for me was when after a long time talking about speaking in tongues and all of this kind of stuff and about the work of the Holy Spirit. I remember a defining moment in a service. Actually, it was in the old Zion building when I wasn't even a part of the church. But I came to an event next door. Okay, and I can remember responding and coming to the end of a line of people who come out for prayer. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. And I was the last one in the line. And in that moment, God met me in a supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit, which completely changed my Christian experience. 
Didn't mean that I didn't have struggles since then, or I didn't do bad things, or I didn't have doubts or questions. But I knew that everything changed because of the supernatural intervention of God. Because without His Spirit, we can do nothing. And with His Spirit, we can do all things. The Bible says in in Philippians 4 verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean we can jump off buildings. doesn't mean we can play for England football. It doesn't mean we can do all things. It means in the context of what it was written, the guy's talking about going through tough times. You can get through it because of the spirit at work within you. Only the supernatural intervention of God can turn a traumatic ending into a new beginning. Only the supernatural intervention of God can turn debilitating grief into inspiring joy. Only a supernatural intervention of God can turn deflating defeat into life-giving victory. Only the supernatural intervention of God can turn overwhelming despair into energizing hope. And only the supernatural intervention of God can turn excruciating pain into exhilarating gain. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill our lives, He can bring all things out of those experiences. Amen. And what we want to do this morning is we want to give some opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come into your life again. And maybe this morning there's an ending or there's a loss that you're living in right now. And before you get stuck and before you get chained and before you get paralyzed in that moment, don't let that situation define the moment. Let the moment define the situation. I'm going to ask the band to come back and we're going to pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for your word, God. And we want to thank you, God, for the power of your word. And Lord, as we picture ourselves with those disciples, as we picture ourselves with with those early followers, as we try and imagine what it would have been like to have been with you, Jesus, for that 40 days where life would have been problem-free and anxiety-free and stress-free and it would have been amazing. But God, you left how they must have felt. But God, when you left, a new beginning happened. And that new beginning was the coming of your Spirit. So that now, 2,000 years later, we can experience the same relationship that you had with those early followers through your Spirit. So God, our loss and our endings can be turned into new life and new beginnings. And God, I want to pray this morning, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite the supernatural intervention of God. And where there's death, we bring life. And where there's despair, we speak hope. And where there's endings, God, we prophesy beginnings in Jesus' name. So is there anyone here this morning and maybe you are in that moment of loss or of ending. Maybe you're in that moment where something seems to have disappeared and you're staring into the sky. Could this be a defining moment for you where you say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to get stuck in this moment. I don't want to be defined by this, but I invite you, Holy Spirit, would you come into my moment and out of this loss and out of this ending, I'm looking to you to bring new life and a new beginning. We want to pray for you this morning. So if there's anyone this morning and that's you, I want to ask you to stand. Just stand as a response. And we want to pray for you this morning. Is there anyone here this morning? Thank you, guys. I'm going to ask if you sat down and there's people standing, it'd be amazing if you could just reach out a hand, put a hand on their shoulder, okay? 
just so they know they're not on their own. And we want to just pray for these guys. Only the supernatural intervention of God can bring a new beginning. So Father, we want to pray. We want to pray for these guys and girls who have stood before you this morning. God, and in their loss and in their endings, Lord, we pray for a new beginning in Jesus' name. God, we want to pray where there's grief, some of it natural, some of it kind of enforced, where there's unexpected grief, where there's unexpected loss, where there's things that they didn't predict would happen and have happened. God, we want to pray for your presence to be with them in Jesus' name. And God, we want to pray that even though they can't see tomorrow, you can. You can see what's coming around the corner. And I just really want to, I just kind of sense that there are some of you and it is around the corner. That's the thing that you're struggling with. And you know here, you know today, but you don't know what tomorrow's looking like. And I just believe God wants to say to you, no, you don't, but I do. You don't, but I do. And look back at yesterday. Was I faithful yesterday? Yes. I can be faithful tomorrow. And God wants to say that with Him, yesterday, today, tomorrow are all the same. He is as powerful in yesterday as He is today, as He will be tomorrow. So Father, we pray that Holy Spirit, You would come and You would flood these people's lives and that You would show them that tomorrow is okay because You've got it covered. You've got it covered. So Lord, we pray, we speak out a new beginning, a defining moment. Holy Spirit, a new beginning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we all stand together? I'm going to just say in a few minutes we're going to finish, but it may be that today there are some issues that have been raised for you, or it may be that there are some needs in your own life. Maybe there's physical healing needs. We believe God heals. We believe God sets free. And we have a prayer team that would love to meet with you over there in the prayer room. You can head through there during this song or after this song. There will be people waiting for you. They'd love to pray for you. But as we sing this song together, let's all of us open up our hearts and our lives and say, only the supernatural intervention of God will define our moments, okay? And let's say, God, this isn't about us trying harder. This is about you at work in us by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here.